Let's bring this message today. You know, I find that even though messages may be directed a certain way today to fathers, it's for all of us. We can all receive something from the word of the Lord today. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. For a few minutes today. Matthew 6. Do you have your Bible with you? You have a phone? Do you have a Bible? You have a phone. Where's your Bible? Picking on them. Can I pick on them? Where's your Bible? You know, we used to all bring our Bibles to church. I understand if you have it, you have it. But how many know this is a blessed book today? The Word of God. Here is a familiar passage of Scripture. Two verses. One particular, in particular. And we're talking to fathers today. Our Father, just as Matthew 6 and 9. In this matter, therefore, pray. Jesus is praying, teaching them to pray. And Jesus is going to, this is about priority. This is about priority for our lives. This is about what's important to God, which should be important to us. And he said, when you pray, here's the priorities. Here's the things that you should be praying about. Here's the things that you should be pursuing. Notice, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do you see that? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning in this first service about walking in the will of the Father. And I just pray that the Lord would add his blessing to the reading of Scripture today. Your will be done. Father, let your will be done. Let your will be accomplished. Let's speak to fathers today. The walking in the will of the Father. Certainly, I think that we know there's a crisis in, in our nation. It is a family crisis. It is a masculinity crisis. It is a father crisis. I, I believe the most powerful, and I believe the most important influence in a child's life is a father. A father's have tremendous influence in the lives of their family. And I believe as a whole, fathers are the ones who determine the course of the nation. I think what we're seeing today are directly connected and the result of where fathers have led their children in the nation. A, a, a large part of what we're seeing today is the absence of fathers. It's been proven. These are facts. These are not things that we've dreamed up. But it's been proven that if a young man grows up without a dad, his chances of going to prison are twice as high. Those are facts. He is more likely to drop out of high school. A, a young lady is more likely to become pregnant out of wedlock when there is a father than absence of a father in a home. The truth is, when a father walks away from a home, it is a home. It is the family that suffers. Those are facts. Those are facts. The truth is that whatever pathway a father walks, whether good or whether bad, the children are most likely to follow. 
My premise, my, my thoughts to you today is this. The greatest needs in America today is the presence and the influence of strong, loving, godly fathers. I've, I've referenced the illustration many times about Kruger Park. There were elephants in Kruger Park. They called out some of the older mature males. And after time, when they called out the males, they found out there became disruption in those elephant herds. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. The adolescent elephants were acting out. They were doing things they should not do. They were acting out of character. And they realized they targeted it and they took it back to when they had called out of Kruger Park, the mature bull males. They began to introduce those bull males back, or some bull males, mature males, back into those herds. And to surprise, surprise, everything became orderly. Everything became peaceful all over again. Why? Because it's the power of a godly man. It's the power of male, godly, male, Christian influence. So the question to all of us dads, those that may be watching, where are you leading your children? So here's the question. If, if, you, if your children follow you, where will they end up? I want you to listen to this Old Testament illustration. This is an illustration, and it speaks to what we're talking about today. This is 2 Kings, chapter 21, verses 11 and 12, and then 19 through 22. Here's what it says. Be, because Manasseh... Now, Manasseh was the son of the great king Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the godliest kings that Judah ever knew. Not perfect, but very godly. Manasseh, his son, did not follow in his footsteps. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that Judah ever knew. Here's what it says. He became king in Judah. of Judah, had, has done these abominations... He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears it, both of his, e both of his ears will tingle. This is where Manasseh was not only the leader of his nation, but he was the leader of his family. When, when we sin as fathers, it affects our family. It affects our leadership all around us. Now listen to this, chapter 21, verse 19 now. His son, Ammon, is his name. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Michelle Ameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jatba. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in the ways that his father had walked. And he served the idols that his father had served. And he worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers. And he did not walk in the way of the Lord. See the influence. And that's normally how it is. Now, I realize there are exceptions to that rule. There's been ungodly men, that young men, their sons have gotten saved and they serve the Lord. But most generally, the rule is where we lead is where our children will follow. So if your children follow in your footsteps, 
The question is, where will they end up? Where are you leading your family? What kind of, a, what kind of example are you and I leading or leaving for our children? This week, I was up in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. That's not really a town, but it was the nowhere. And I went to a graveyard. It was an old graveyard. And as I began to walk around that graveyard, looking at the different names and looking at the different dates, one grave, one man was born 207 years ago, about 1813 I think it was, lived quite a long life for that time. But I began to look at these dates and something began to happen in my heart. I began to become very emotional. Now, I didn't know any of those people, but I, the Holy Spirit began to touch my heart as I began to look at the dates. And, and all those people, they had a date where they were born and they had a date where they, where they left this world. The date where they breathed their last, the date where their spirit left their body and their body went back to the grave. And some were old. Some lived to be almost 100. Very few, though. Most of them were about 70-ish. Some were, some were infants, a few. And I began to look at all those graves. And I began to you know, think about, you know, sometimes we look at that and we see that and we think, you know, it's almost like a blur. But those were real people. They were just as real as you are here today. They lived lives, they had families, they experienced trials, they experienced blessing, they experienced the life and the epics in which they lived in. But they were real people, and I began to be very emotional. In fact, I, I left my dad and my, my stepmother, and I began to walk back to the car because I thought they'd think I was a little strange. But tears began to well up in my eyes. I began to think of, where, where are these people? Where are these people? What kind of lives did they live? What kind of example did they live in their lifetime? And the question for us is this, where are we leading our children? Now, here's the, here's the driving thing that I want you to see today. Here's what I want you to see for the remainder of this teaching today, and that's this. Here, here it is. Here's the, here's the objective today. Here's the big idea today for us dads. And, and we could say it this way, for us parents I think grandparents can have an incredible impact on children. But here's the driving thought, and that's this. We should teach our children to strive for the will of God as their highest pursuit in life. That's what we should be teaching our children, to pursue the will of God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be their name. Thy will be done. That is is the most important thing that anyone will ever consider. The most important thought that will ever come through their mind is the will of God. We should train our children. We should strive to, to motivate our children to pursue God's will as their highest priority in their lives. So the question is this. By your kids watching you, by my children watching me, will they have a strong desire to know God and to follow His will for their lives? In other words, have they seen in us a love for God? Have they seen in us a desire to do the will of God? Do you realize, and you do realize, Jesus is our great example. Look with me in the book of Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 2. 
In Luke chapter 2, we have a little story here. And it's early in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Jesus says the example. What we see here, let me tell you what we're going to see. We're going to see that very early in life, Jesus was about the age of this young man right here, Travis. And as, as, a, as a young boy, Jesus early in life had a heart for God. Now I realize you say, well, he was God, but he was man. Yes, but he was God, but he was man too. Fully man. He was a boy. And we see in Jesus a desire to do the will of God. I want you to notice some things here. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. His parents, everyone say parents. parents. Notice this. Went to Jerusalem every year. Every year. We're going to see something else in a minute. But every year at the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, their day, the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Now look at this. What do you think was happening in this boy's heart? Here's 12 years old, just a boy. What's happening in his heart? He's not wanting to leave church. He's not wanting to leave the temple. He's, something's drawing him. It's, a, it's the Holy Spirit. Here's a boy with a heart for God. Early in life, loving God's house, loving the things of God. He said, they're going back to Nazareth. What do you think was happening? I don't care if they're going back. I'm staying here. I can find my way home. I'm just like 90 miles, 100 miles. Look at this. And then it says, but supposing they had been in the company, they went a day's journey and they sought them among the relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was after three days. Now, Jesus had been separate from his family for how many days? What if you lost Travis for three days? What would you do? Three days. Where is he? You wouldn't be going, oh, well, we have another one. It's all right. <laughs> That's not what we'd say, right? I mean, nobody goes to the mall and you, you lose one and go, oh, I got four or five more. It doesn't matter. No, no. You would be frantic. But where's Jesus? Jesus is cool, calm, and collected. He knows where he needs to be. And so look at this. Quite a humorous story. After three days, they found him, notice, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, these were the wise and learned. These were experts in the law. These are those who could quote the five books of Moses at will. Quote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They could quote it. They knew the 613 laws. These were experts. These were the greatest mind of the nation. And here they are sitting with the Son of God, the boy Jesus. And both listening to them and asking questions, them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. You think Jesus had read the Torah? You think he had read the word of God? Here's a boy Jesus. What an example. Look at this. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, hand on hip. You know that happened. Said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Notice what he says here. 
And he said to them, why did you seek me? Why did you look for me? You didn't have to look far. You didn't have to look far. You, you, didn't you not, don't you know what I'm about? I'm, a, I'm about one thing. I'm about one thing. Most Christians are so ineffective because they're about a thousand things. Their lives are cluttered and divided. And it's no wonder we don't walk closer to God. Jesus was about one thing. Later in his life, he said, I'm about one thing. Whatever I see the Father do, that's what I do. Then he said, my, my, my food is to do the will. Do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was about one thing. The enemy wants to clutter us. The enemy wants us to get involved in every worldly pursuit. Notice what he said here. Why did why'd you, why'd you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Some translations say, did you not know I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had spoken to them. Notice this. Here's Jesus very early in life. Here's a boy. We need to train. Here, I'm going to tell you, Mary and Joseph were a part of this training. Joseph was a very godly man. He, the Bible calls him righteous. Mary, the, the mother of Jesus a holy, godly woman. Jesus raised in this home where the word of God, where, where worship for God was central. Because later on, notice this, we're going to fast forward about 18 years. Now we're going to fast forward 18 years from this moment. And here's what Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says. It says, so he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he was brought up. Notice, and as his custom was, notice, he went into the church, into the synagogue at the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, and he stood to read. Here he is, 18 years later, still living in those principles, still following those habits that he gained early in life. Do we realize, dads, that we are creating habits in our children? You can't wait till they're 16, 17, 18, 20. You've already lost them. You have to start when they're little boys and little girls. You have to have them in the children's church. Can I hear an amen? This is, what, this is our calling. It's to walk in the will of our Father God. Very early, very early we got to teach them. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Notice this, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Let me tell you, life doesn't get easier as you get older. It gets harder. We need to learn what the word of God says now. We need to be equipped now. Kids need to be equipped now. They need to know how to pray now. They need to work through difficulties now. They need to learn how to solve problems with God's help now. They need to learn about God now. So when they face the bad things of the world, they'll know that God is greater and God will give them the victory. Remember the Creator in the days of our youth. I was in New York City some years ago. Peyton was with me. And we were, went to the history, uh, the Natural uh, History Museum. And we went to the, the show there. And, and, and they were showing us the solar system in the planetarium there. And it was just amazing but I saw something different than they saw. They were showing the different galaxies and the Milky Way. And it was just amazing 
to think of the creation and, and, in the, and, and the amazement of that from the fingertips of God. But all of a sudden, uh, I forget the gentleman's name. You would know him. He's on TV a lot. He came over the speaker and his voice, and it was the Big Bang, and it was evolution, and it was this many millions of years, and it was all of this. Well, all of the, before that, it was all good. They had me. You know, I was on board with them. But when they started talking about that, as we walked out, it was great. I mean, I didn't stand up and preach or anything, but, you know, but as we walked out, Peyton can testify to this, as we walked out, I had her by the hand, and I whispered in her ear, and I just said this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember the creator in the days of your youth. Don't ever waste an opportunity to give a spiritual teaching because I'm telling you, it's going to reap eternal benefits. Your young people are going to grow up. And they're going to be strong in God. They're going to know how to pray. They're going to know how to conduct themselves in a way that Jesus would be pleased with. 2, 2 Timothy 3, 5, and 16, 15 and 16 says this. And that from, a child, from childhood, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Notice, here's, here's our tool. Hear this? Here's our, here's our supernatural tool for training. All Scripture. All, you say, Pastor, is the Old Testament good? Absolutely. If you know how to interpret it right, absolutely. It, is the New Testament, yes. Do we just need New Testament? No, we need Old Testament. More New Testament, of course. We need all. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, here's what it's profitable for in your children's lives. Now, he said here, from a childhood, here's what the Word of God will do in our children. It will, it's profitable for, for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, I'll tell you about that, for correction, we know what that is, for instruction in righteousness. Here's what the Word of God will do. The first is doctrine. Now, this word means the activity of teaching. It, it's, it's an active ver, uh, uh, word. It's, it's, it's teaching means you, that you are teaching. Do you know we're always teaching? Little ears are lit. We're always teaching. Oh, I'm not. No, I take them. To, no, no, no. You're teaching. I mean, I get them an hour, you know, 30-minute sermon, 40-minute sermon. You've got them hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. They're learning from you more than me. Now, we, we assist you. We assist families. But we're supplemental. You're teaching all the time. You're teaching by what you watch. You're teaching by what you say. You're teaching by the way you live. They watch you when you pick up the Word of God. They watch you when you take those moments to pray. See, teaching, it, this word is not just about, it's about the activity of teaching. It's about educating. It's about instructing. It's the activities that impart knowledge and impart skill. They're learning. They're learning a lot of lessons from us dads. Here's what Ephesians says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. We're seeing, a, we're seeing a spirit of rebellion today. People hate police. They hate their parents. They hate the government. They hate everyone. That's not the spirit of God. That's not who we are. We are to, we are to obey our mothers and fathers. We learn those lessons of yielding to authority. Some people can't keep a job. And the reason they can't keep a job is because they never learned to yield to authority of their mom and dad, and they're constantly talking behind their boss's back. Where did they learn it? They learned it in their home. And now they keep their office stirred up. 
And usually the boss says, I'm done. I've written you up. You're not working here. Where do you trace that to? Home. And then it says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. In other words, you're learning this lesson of yielding and respecting authority, and you have promise in your life. You have their success in your future. Why? Because your mom and dad taught you about what was right and what was proper. And it will benefit you for the rest of your life. He said, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And notice, and you fathers, notice, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't, don't become, don't use anger on your kids. Ungodly anger hurts our children. Don't ever discipline in in ungodly anger. But notice, bring them up in the training. Everyone say training. And the admonition, say admonition, of the Lord. The training, the training and the admonition. Some translations say upbringing. It's the education. There again, it's that word. It's the whole training. It's the cultivation of the mind. It's the cultivation of the morals. Admonition is not encouragement, by the way. The word admonition here means cautionary advice. The word means especially caution of danger and of unpleasantness. It means that we're not trying, it means that we're trying to warn our kids of those dangers in life. Do you know there are landmines everywhere? There are spiritual and moral landmines everywhere. And we have a duty before God to warn our children what is wrong and what will lead them down the wrong path and ultimately destroy their life and maybe even destroy their soul. There needs to be admonition. There needs to be warnings because we love them. And that has to do with discipline, a lot of stuff there. So are we actively teaching our children? Are we teaching our grandchildren? What's the plan? Do you have a plan? They, they, they learn by watching us, and they learn by verbal instruction. But it can't just be verbal instruction. It can't just be do what I say and not what I do. But they have to watch us. They have to see us. We have to verbalize. We have to speak the Word of God to them. We have to read the Word of God to them. We have to explain the Word of God to them. We have to explain what God wants in all facets of life. And this is the answer right here. Do you know that? The Word of God is the answer. I think about so what I saw last week. I saw a little program, and there was a Labrador retriever, and the puppies were learning to swim. And the Labrador retriever jumped out into the pond, and there was like these six or eight most beautiful little Labrador puppies you ever saw in your life. And, and they were just, some of them were a little timid, and they would kind of get in the edge of the water, and they'd step back. And then one of them uh, just jumped headlong in, and then others followed, and they'd get out there, and, the, and they were swimming along, and then the, 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 the adult Labrador would get out, and the puppies would follow, and then they'd get back in again. What were they doing? Training. They were training by watching. How do you think those Labradors were going to learn how to swim? How were they going to learn how to function in life? Nature teaches us this, does it not? Nature But you know what we have? We have something better than just an instinctual. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God to lead us, to guide us, to raise godly children, to raise godly families. And that's what the Lord wants. There's there's teaching. There's, There's doctrine. That's teaching. That's the activity of teaching. We're always teaching. Little eyes are watching us. Little Little feet are following us. And you ever had your children... Repeat something that you said. 
And you thought, oh, didn't realize I said that. Phrases. And then there is reproof. And this is confronting error. Confronting wrong behavior or wrong beliefs. So the Word of God shows us what is right, but the Word of God also shows us what is wrong. The Word of God will give our children a moral compass. We need a moral compass. What, What is that? That's convictions. There's some convictions that we need about certain things. We need to have belief systems that come right out of the Word of God. We need that. We need we need to get back to the Ten Commandments. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if, if we just taught the Ten Commandments again? Think of what our society would be like if we could just get back to the Ten Commandments. Why don't we just read them? This is found in Exodus. Now, if we followed the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it be a better country? Ten Commandments. Here it is. And the Lord spoke, and God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Wouldn't it be great if our young people understood that there's only one God, and that's, it's the God of the Bible. It's the only true God. There is no other God. There is no other God but one God. All those are false idols. All those are gods dreamed up by demon spirits. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the great three in one. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or of anything that is in heaven above or that is earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Idolatry is forbidden. Why did, that, why did God forbid idolatry? You can't, you can't understand God by a wood and stone. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. We're not idolaters. We don't have statues in here. We don't worship statues. We don't burn candles to statues. We serve a God who's invisible in a sense. He's a spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When Jesus came, we saw the visible manifestation of God. If you want to know what Father's like, look at his son Jesus. You'll see. Jesus said, if you've seen the, me, you've seen the Father. But we don't, we're not idols. We're not idol worshipers. You shall not bow down to them, he said, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God. And then he goes down and he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name, his name in vain. There is not a week that goes by that I do not hear someone say GD, using God's name in vain. I've never heard someone say, oh, Buddha. It's always GD. Why? Because Satan hates the true God. And then I hear Christians using Jesus' name in vain. Using Jesus' name in a, in a way. Oh, God. That's using God's name in vain. Using it lightly. Just throwing it out as a little phrase. That is using the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord in vain. Do you realize... The Jews were afraid to even speak the name of God. Why do you think in the book of Matthew it says the kingdom of heaven? And yet in Luke it says the kingdom of God. Because Matthew is written to the Jews. The name of God was sacred to them. And when the world hears us use the name of our God in such flippant, ungodly ways, they won't take us seriously because we're not even serious. We need to be very careful how we use God's name. The name of Jesus is holy. 
The name of Jesus is sacred, and we should hold it as sacred. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you labor and do your work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, and in it you shall do, shall, shall do no work, you nor your sons nor your daughters, etc., etc. He says here, six days he made the heavens. He tells why. And he's blessed the Sabbath. Now, we don't keep the Old Testament Sabbath. We don't keep it. We don't keep the Sabbath because Saturday was the Sabbath. Yesterday was the Jewish Sabbath. They still keep You go to Jerusalem today. Everything's shut down on Sabbath. They keep Sabbath. We don't keep Sabbath. In the New Testament church, they met on the first day of the week. Why? Does anyone know why? Why don't we meet on Sabbath? And why do we meet on the first day of the week? It's the day of the resurrection. It's the day that Jesus rose. This has been done for 2,000 years. We see all through the New Testament, they met on the first day of the week. It was a celebration of the resurrection. It is vitally important that we attend church regularly once a week. Vital. I believe it is the perfect will of God. And when we do not have that habit and lead our children and our families in that, we damage our children, sometimes irreparably. We don't keep Sabbath. We do keep the day of the resurrection. How, how is it that God has given us seven days and we can't even give him one? It is one of the most damaging things that's happened to the Christian community. Online, in your flip-flops, in your little bed head, with your cup of coffee, don't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you're sick, of course. If you're, if you're infirmed, if you're bound, of course. All these things are supplemental. But God calls us together. He'll never rescind it. It'll never be substituted. He calls us together to worship. And he has promised an incredible, special blessing when we come together. I am is in our midst. It's different. I can tell you, you can sit home, you can have a Bible. You know, I understand we're in crazy times right now, but it's not the same. The pre- Hear this. The presence of God is not the same. The joy is not the same. The fellowship is not the same. But when we worship God on the day of his worship, there's something glorious that happens. Jesus loved it. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, I don't think you are. He went to church on Sunday. You ain't there, so you ain't following him too far. All right, come on, church. All right, let's just talk a little bit here. And then notice this. Honor your father and your mother. There's no perfect parents. Some are more perfect than others. Some are better than others. They're all flawed, raising flawed kids. But the bottom line is we need to honor our parents. We need to honor them. We need to speak well of them. We need to love them. And if all possible, honor is a very powerful, powerful thing. Do not commit murder. That's a good translation. It's not do not kill. I think the old King James said kill. It's not kill. It's murder. There is just killings. And there is just wars. But he says, I forbid murder. We need to honor life. We need to honor life. Life is very sacred. The life of every person is sacred. Do you know that? Every person. Do not murder. In, in Chicago, there'd be six or 700 murders a year in Chicago. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. What in the world's happening there? They're murdering one another. We've seen people murdered. We see police murdered. Here and during this nonsense going on, this coronavirus, these protests, the... Uh, in New York City, a precious lady, a black lady, black police officer lady, sitting in her car, and someone walked up behind her in her car and shot her in the head. A black man, another 
black person. What a tragedy. And let me tell you this. No murder has eternal life. Life is sacred. And we could get into abortion and all of these things. Life is precious. Do not steal. Do not steal. Well, there's been a lot of that going on lately. People breaking in stores, taking out TVs. It's completely disgusting. That is disgusting. We should not steal. We do not take what is not ours. You know, I've, I've even heard, uh, and I remember we, were, uh, we, we traveled for about a year in evangelism. And there'd be stuff, we, people would uh, come to these services and there'd be times we'd be at the altar, giving an altar call for salvation, and then somebody go back to their seat and their purse would be gone. Right in the house of God. Listen, if you see something, do not touch it. It's not yours. Right, kids? I know you would not do that, but this is just a teaching here. We don't take what is not ours. That's stealing. And that's a violation of God's command. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You don't lie about someone. You don't bear false witness. You don't say something false. A lot of that goes on today. Somebody will accuse something of something, and then all of a sudden, their name is besmirched forever because there's always a question mark in someone's mind. Did they really do it? And I can tell you, there's been some innocent people that have gone to the grave with a marred name, but it wasn't really marred. It was slandered. You don't bear false witness about someone, and you don't covet. We don't envy someone. We don't covet what they have, etc., I thought I would read that. Wouldn't wouldn't our nation be a greater nation if we would just go by the Ten Commandments and live live our lives and teach our children these? That's our our moral compass. Then then the Word of God corrects us. It corrects faults. In other words, the the word correction here means to right a falling object. Something has fallen down, and when you correct it, you put it back upright. Isn't that what the Word of God does? When we fail the Lord, the Word of God shows us how I can get back to God. It shows us how I can make my life right with God again. It shows me how I can be right with others. The Word of the, see, sin throws you down, but Jesus lifts you up. How can a young man cleanse his way? Do anyone know where that verse is? Bible quiz time. Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto thy word. You can tell I memorized it in the old King James. When we take hold of the word of God, it corrects our lives. Remember this. Remember the prodigal. Now I'm talking about the will of God. I'm going to finish here. I'm not finished, but I'm going to finish. Now listen to me. Remember the prodigal. How do you get back to God? Let me just give you this. I would say this, separation from God's will and fellowship with God. When we separate ourselves from God's will, disastrous, disastrous. It says in Luke 15, 12, and 13 that the son, the younger son said, give me the goods that are mine. You know, this is selfishness. And he, he went into a far country. When I separate from the will of God, when I separate from a close, intimate relationship with God, nothing good can come from it. Oh, you may do good for a while. You may be the life of the party. You got money in your pocket. Everybody's your friend, but when trouble comes, and it will, disastrous. Look at this. Living a life separate from the Father's will leads to a wasted life. 
Any, listen, any life, see the, he lived in prodigal, we call him the prodigal son, right? That prodigal means wasteful. Prodigal means wasteful. Here's a young man, money in his pocket, separate from his father, thinks he's the life of the party, thinks he's accomplished. I can tell you, people have accomplished marvelous and great earthly things in their natural looking at things. But anything you do outside the will of God is a house of cards. And it's going to crumble one day. So separate, living separate from the Father leads to a wasted life. It also leads to degraded life. What happened to the young man? In verse 15 and 16 of Luke 15, it says, There came a famine. And the scripture says that then the young man hired himself to the people of that country. And he was slopping hogs, something the most degrading thing that a young man could do, a Jewish young man. That's what sin does. Living outside the will of God doesn't take us up. It takes us down. Jonah went down away from the voice of God. God said, go here. He went the other way. It says he went down, down. He went down to Joppa. He went down in the ship. He went down in the sea. He went down in the belly of the well. He was down. When you live outside the will of God, you go down. Separate from the will of God and from the Father leads to an empty life. Bible says he began to be hungry. He was empty. See? But then all of a sudden he came to himself. He said, what am I doing? Living this stupid life. Look what this life has brought me. Pain and sin and I'm degraded. I'm wasteful. And look at me. And in my father's house, they have food. They have merriment. They have everything they need. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to the will of God. I'm going to go back to the father. And then he begins to walk home. His shoulders are stooped. He's ashamed because he left the will of God. He left the Father. And he rehearsed the speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And he finally humbled himself to the will of the Father. That's the best thing we can do is to yield to the Father. Amen. The best thing we can do is surrender to God's will, draw close to Him again. When you do that, He's not going to push us away. Father had been watching for Him every day, it looked like, in the story. Finally, He saw the boy and He ran to Him. And the boy started his speech. I've sinned against heaven against you, Father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be one of your hired servants. Humility always brings exaltation, always. Pride and arrogance and self-centeredness and self-exaltation always ruins our life. It always ruins relationship. It always ruins churches. It always brings destruction. It always brings stress. It always brings strife. It always brings tension. But humility brings peace in the soul. Humility brings blessing again. And the father said, bring the, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Kill the fatted calf, for my son was lost and now he's found. The will of God is the most important thing in our lives. Nothing more important than that. Not money, not position, not power, not accolades. Nothing is more important than our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And that's the question when we stand before the Lord one day. That's the, that's the question. Did you do my will? And fathers, it's very important that we lead our children into God's will. 
and to, to, to get them, to teach them, to strive after the will of God as the highest pursuit in life. Now I want us to pray. Let's stand. I've gone quite long here. Let's pray. If you would, Kenzie or, or Stephanie would play. Just, we're going to have a prayer. And what I want to do is I want us to pray for our children. Pray for your grandchildren. We're going to have a prayer. And we're not going to gather in front. We're still social distancing. I'm not going to lay hands on anyone. But I, I certainly would like to lay hands on every dad here. And really every parent. But we're speaking to dads today on this Father's Day. Have you prayed for your children? I prayed for all my kids this morning. I called them by name. Called my sons-in-laws by name. Called all my grandchildren by name. I prayed for them. Prayer brings the influence of the Holy Spirit into our children's lives. I think we should pray. Let's pray for our children. You pray for your kids. Lord, we lift up our children. I pray that they would see the great value and the great glory of the will of God. Thank you, Father, for your purpose, for your plan, and for your will. There's nothing greater. Oh, I know the world thinks it's stupid, foolish. Because the things of God are foolish to the things of the world. You mean you would give up this? You would give up that? You don't do this? You don't do that? Why? Because you're seeking the will of God? Yes. Yes, Father. We know that your will is the narrow gate. We know that your will is a place of denial, self-denial. We can't move in two directions. How can two walk together unless they be one? Lord, we're either going to go our way or we're going to say, Lord, I surrender to you and I go your way. And Lord, I'm reminded what Romans says. Yield yourself to God. And Lord, I pray that my children, Lauren, Mackenzie, Madison, and Peyton, would always have hearts that are yielded to God's will and purpose. Nothing greater, no higher pursuit. I pray my grandchildren, Stratton, Boston, Bennett, and Ezra, would always have hearts to follow Jesus Christ. They would see it as their glory. It's the highest pursuit. I pray that you would manifest your will. Lord, we all, you have a will for all of our children. Not all will be preachers, but all shall be servants. All will walk in close relationship with you. All should read our Bibles. All should have prayer lives. All should be holy. All should walk in closeness with the Lord. All should want to serve. And Lord, I pray that your will would be accomplished. I pray that every dad would be strong, would be loving, but strong, would have courage and convictions. And Lord, the, the, the lives that they live before their children would have eternal impact. But we just pray a blessing today on all of our families. And for this we ask in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said amen. Amen. As you are dismissed in the Lord, just remember the importance that your leadership is to your family today. And may the Lord graciously bless you and may he keep you today and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you today as you go.